Amen. What a great day. I am looking forward to being the first preacher to step on this stage. Make sure you tell your pastor when you're back uh, about that. So he told me, he said, and we might be able to get our uh, our new stage. Am I still on or did I blow a fuse? Uh, that was you guys. Okay. Uh, we're still working on the sound, so be gracious. Uh, if it's loud, uh, I would tell you to get over it, but uh, I'm pastor, uh, so we'll just have to let everybody else deal with that. But it is good to be here with you, and you don't have to remember anything about that. Just call me Tom. The most important thing is that today I have my lovely wife Cheryl here with me. Doesn't travel with me a lot, but I was the lucky guy. 34 years ago today to marry this dear lady, and she was put up and there are days she'll tell you afterwards, because I'll be, you know, talking and, and all of that, but it's good to have Cheryl here with us today. And you pray for your pastor while he has some fun. Uh, I am glad that you allow your pastor time to go have a good time and just to kind of chill out a little. Pastoring is a, is a serious, it's a fun job, it's a great calling, but, but you know, there are challenges like with any other uh, job. But just be praying for your pastor. He's doing a great job. And I know there are a lot of seats that aren't ready. Uh, you know, empty. That is because on Labor Day weekend, it used to be, by the way, Christmas Sunday. Christmas Sunday, whatever that Sunday was, uh, right before Christmas, used to be the least attended service. But about 20 years ago, it seemed to be Labor Day weekend took over because all of us are trying to get that last chance before school. Now, we all go back to school here in Florida early, but, but everybody else in the world seems to not do it until after Labor Day. So uh, if you've been around the beaches and stuff when it wasn't raining, you know, there were tourists here trying to do the last thing. I'm sure we've messed up their plans a little. Well, on behalf of 262 fellow churches called the Greater Orlando Baptist Association, I bring you greetings today. And it's always a pleasure to be here. I enjoy this church. I enjoy Josh. And uh, I'm just excited about all this. Uh, I could almost walk the whole, I mean, I love this. This is great. I'm going to have to put marks all over this so Josh knows I've already stepped all over it. But, you know, I want to talk to you today about, oh, first of all, what I want to do is, sorry about this, i got to give you a shameless commercial. On October 9th, Sunday afternoon on October 9th, the Great Orlando Baptist Association, we are having our annual celebration. And this is the first time we've ever put it on a Sunday afternoon forever before Jesus came, it was on a Monday, and no one wanted to come, you know, on a Monday. But anyway, so we put it on a Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, starting with a dinner, and then we have Jim Henry preaching, I'm talking, and uh, Dr. Uh, Tommy Green, uh, our keynote speakers, our new state exec for Florida. Dr. Henry is always Dr. Henry, and he's going to talk a little bit about what God has done to turn around downtown Baptist Church. But it is going to be a great evening of celebration. Children, we have a big children's program going on out, out there. BSU is taking care of that. We have a youth rally that uh, we have a band and a concert for them and a speaker for them. It is going to be a great afternoon. We're going to have a picnic. And picnic means this year, it means hot dogs and hamburgers, baked beans, and whatever else is in that uh, type of deal. So come be part of us. If if you're coming, all you got to do is call the office and just say you're coming. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be an exact number. Just tell Josh when he's back. You know, if you think 10 of you will come, just give us 10. We're just, we just want to make sure we have enough, enough food. So... Uh, but, all right, I'm done the commercials. How about if we preach a little? Is that all right? You know, uh, turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, 
And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 to start with, and then we're going to look at some others. And I want to talk to you about where are you going? Where are you going? That's an interesting thing. Let's read the passage of Scripture. Um, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make unto you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And catch this last part. And Lot went with him. You know, it's been said that every great person first has to learn how, how to obey. And as I think about it, we have to learn how to obey, how to obey. We have to learn who to obey and when to obey. And I believe the secret of really the greatest man in all of the Old Testament, which I believe is Abram, soon to be Abraham, um, is, is this, this dear saint. He is an incredible, he's the hero of the Old Testament, in my opinion. And outside probably of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's probably the greatest person in all of Scripture, even over David, by the way, even though God says that David was a man after my own heart. And, and you know, we've had a great summer. We've celebrated Fourth of July. And, and I kind of thought about if, if we were going to do the equivalent of what, you know, we know who our American heroes are. But, well, if you had the equivalent of our American heroes, you know, we have many great Americans. Uh, and I would say that it, uh, the greatest leader in, in American history probably would be Abraham Lincoln. And uh, there are those who would say that probably the greatest military leader would be Robert E. Lee. You know, I'd probably say the greatest American period would probably be George Washington in, in that historical past. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you think about that, whereas Moses was the Abe Lincoln of the Bible and, and Joshua was the Robert E. Lee of the scripture, without a doubt, without a question, Abraham is the George Washington of the Bible for the foreign Romans. The scripture says in Romans 4.11 that, that he is called the father of the faithful. And I want us to think about that day, the father of the faithful. You know, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we are we're given the, really the history of the first 2,000 years of, you know, of human history. But in the next 14 chapters, 14 chapters, think about the length of that. Fully one-fourth of the whole book of Genesis we are given over to the life of Abraham, a man that was originally called Abram, who will be called Abraham, and he's the only man in Scripture ever called the friend of God. You know, I don't know how you are and what you're thinking about today, but there are very few people in Scripture that are called the friend of God. And I think the reason he's called that is because his theme was wherever God leads him, he will go. <laughs> wherever God leads him, he will go. And that's what I really want us to think about is we talk about where are you going today? Wherever he leads, I'll go. When God spoke it uh, there, there was only two things, Abraham, two things he knew that he could do. Only two things when, when God spoke to him here in this passage, he could trust and he could obey. He could trust and he could obey. And Genesis literally is a great book. It is a book of beginnings. In fact, whenever we read Genesis, you hear that all the time. It's a book of beginnings that the literary makeup for its title really reminds us that there are three beginnings in Scripture. Three beginnings in the beginning of the book of Genesis. The first beginning is the beginning of the human race. And who's that? Adam and who? 
Adam and Eve. The second beginning is the new beginnings on the earth. It was Noah and the flood, Noah and all his sons. But the third beginning is the beginning of the chosen nation through which God uses Abram, whose name, like I said, is going to be moved and changed to Abraham. Abraham's only call to, to fame was faith. His only call to fame was faith. But yet it's because of his faith today that we literally, he's revered by the three great faiths of the world. He is seen as the father of the Muslims. He is seen as the father of the Jews and the Christians as well. And he's still the hero of the Hebrews. He's still the, the jewel of the Jews. In scripture, we say he is the brightest star in the Hebrew heaven. He's the biggest tree in the Hebrew forest, would be another way to word that uh, in our scripture. And so he's respectfully called Father Abraham. You remember that song, Father Abraham, in BBS? That's the Christian version of the song that will never end. Now you'll be singing it the rest of the day. I just brought that up so you could be marching and singing and all that. But anyway, I just went there because I could. But anyway, uh, you know, but when you think about Father Abraham, and you think about Abraham, it is his faith. And he is the father of all faith. He is the father of all faith. He's going to show us some things, I think four things, five things here today. He's going to show us how through faith, no matter where you are, no matter what you might be, where you might be in your life, that you can make the rest of your life the absolute best of your life. And so the first thing I want us to catch here in these passages of Scripture, we're really going to look through chapter 12 uh, quite a bit. But here he is, the first thing, I want you to see the revelation that formed his faith. Here he is, 75 years of age. He has a wife and has no children, a barren wife. And Abraham left everything that he knew, everyone that he knew, and everything that he had for one reason, that God said go. God said go. He told him what he told him to do. You know, And that's what I think faith is. Faith is simply a response to God revealing something to our lives. If God says you ought to do this, let me tell you. You ought to do this. You know, if God says you ought to do that, you ought to probably do that. The last thing you want to do is say, God, you told me to do this, and yet I have a better plan than you do. You know, our faith is simply a response to God's revelation, and that certainly was so in his life. And, you know, age doesn't seem to be a hindrance to God. Did you notice this? 75 years of age, and God says, let's get at it. Let's get at it. You know, we live in a Western culture where we think at 75, we can hit cruise. God says no. He says, literally, age isn't an obstacle to what I might call you to do. And faith is your commitment to God's commandment. We see this in Abraham. And that's why in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 17, we, we know the passage. You know it. You probably memorize it. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the value of faith, when you think about it, is often determined by, you know, the entity in which it is placed. I know there were some people last night that put their faith in USC, and they're really disappointed today, you know. Uh, they're extraordinarily, with 50-some points on the scoreboard, disappointed. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, our faith is determined by what we, the entity in which we place our, our, our faith in. It is faith placed in an unworthy object. And, you know, when we place it in an unworthy object, it's just presumption. It's just meager, meager presumption. The only thing worthy of our faith, the scripture says, is the word of God. 
The Word of God is worthy of our faith. Now, faith is not grounded in human resolve. It's not grounded in, in you know, he didn't, Abraham didn't leave Ur to go to Canaan just because that's what he always wanted to do. Literally, he did not go because he thought it would be the best thing for his family and probably would be totally the other way around. His attitude was not, I'm going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do, and God, get out in front of me and lead the way. That's not what his, his idea was. That was not where he was. I love D.A. Carson. He's a commentator. And he wrote uh, in his commentary on the book of Genesis in the New, uh, New Bible Commentary. He said, for people leaving the homeland, Back in those days and leaving family, it was a much greater deal, a bigger issue uh, than in a traditional society. In today's mobile society, he says, in our individualistic culture, we move all the time. But he says, Abram risked everything he held most dear to obey God's call. Christ similarly challenges people to venture everything to follow him. And I think that is a good reminder for us. That's what we do each and every day of our lives as we follow the Lord. We, we venture out on his leading, not, not on our own. You know, uh, there, you know, there are a lot of people today, so many people who do what they want to do in life, and when it doesn't work out, you know what they do? They just blame God. You know, you know those people. You know, a Christian will marry a non-Christian and wonder why God's not blessing their marriage. You know, a Christian will go into business with a non-Christian businessman and wonder why God's not blessing their business. So many people today practice kind of the name it and claim it, do it my way type of theology, and that certainly is the world in which we live. They want to name it, then they want to claim it, and then when it, they get upset if God doesn't come alongside and bless it. Abraham wasn't that way. You know, at the beginning of Abraham's pilgrimage, we... It begins with the event as we saw in, in verse 1. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, it was the Lord speaking, Get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to the land I will show you. The second thing I want you to catch is faith is not grounded in, in human righteousness. It's not grounded in you being cool and great and me being cool and great. It has nothing to do with it. In fact, in, in chapter 11, verse 28, just a, a few verses before we get to, to this passage, it tells us that Abraham was from the Ur of the uh, Chaldeans. And it was a hotbed of paganism. It was a hotbed of everything that was sinful. They worshipped the moon god. And, you know, Joshua reminded the people later that uh, he, he literally says in the book of Joshua, he said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, um, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, in the old times, and they served other gods. And here's Abraham that God calls him. He says, break with everything. Break with even your family. Isn't that amazing? He says, break with that so that you can walk with me. You know, I want you to notice something here in this passage in Genesis chapter 12, all of the passage. But I want you to understand something that his calling was really a calling of grace. He wasn't that hot of stuff. He wasn't that big of a deal. He was literally just Abram. And Abraham was not called because he was a great man. And yet we know him today because he is one. Abraham became great because God called him, God challenged him, and told him to go. And he obeyed that call. That's what we need to understand today. When we obey God's call, God can use us amazingly. And Abraham didn't find God. Did you ever think about that in scripture? God found him. Abraham didn't find him, and Abraham wasn't even looking for him. God found him. The third thing I want you to catch 
in this uh, first point is faith is not grounded in human reason. You know, you notice here in the passage in verses 1 through 4, you know, he's told to leave his residence. The scripture says to get out of your country. Uh, now, that's like saying to Andy Griffin, leave Mayberry. That's like telling, you know, the Cartwrights, leave the Ponderosa. You know, some of you don't know where those are. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you know. But Ur was a port city. It was a port city on the Euphrates River, which, you know, was rich in soil that produced luscious vegetables and, and fruits in abundance. And it was a beautiful place to live. Yet God said, leave it all. Leave it all. Go to a country you have never seen before. And you know what? He did. He was told to leave his relatives. Did you catch that in the passage? God said, get out from your kindred. And you notice at the end I said, and Lot went with him. That was probably a mistake there. He was to leave his brothers and his sisters and his nephews and all the different things. He was literally to leave the people that he loved and the people that loved him. Isn't it amazing when you think about this passage? He says he's to leave his resources. He said, and from your father's house. Listen, back in those days, the father was the money chain. The father was the one who had all their wealth and, and the kids and the family relied on the wealth of the father. And the scripture says, God said, leave it. Just leave it. Can you imagine the stress, the challenge in, in all of that? Abraham had thousands and thousands of acres of good land and incredible soil and many cattle and all that. He was rich in silver and he was rich in gold and he had a beautiful wife, he had a magnificent home, all the things that went with it. And yet he was told, just leave it all. Leave it all. Go to a new country you've never seen. And that's exactly what he did. Now, do you know why he did? Do you know why Abraham? I think it was this. Although he did not know the where, and although he did not know the what, he did not know the why, Abraham knew the who. Abraham knew the who. And you know, as long as we know Jesus, that's all that really matters. As long as we know the who, don't be afraid to go where God tells you. Don't be afraid to do what God asks you to do. Don't be afraid to do all those things because it is. if God tells you, he'll be there ahead of you, he'll be there with you, He'll be there after you. He'll be there throughout all of your ministry. Don't ever be afraid to go when God says, go, go. I love the story. It's about a grandfather. And he used to take his little son with him all different places on short trips, day errands, things like that. And one day he comes into his uh, living room where the grandson was watching TV. And he says, boy, I'm getting ready to go on a trip. And the boy said, well, where are you going? Well, the grandfather never answered and he just walked out the door and went without him. And when he came back a couple hours later, the little boy asked him, Grandpa, why didn't you take me with you? The grandfather looked at me and said, because you asked, where are you going? Grandson, if you really wanted to go with me, you wouldn't have asked. You just would have gone. When God says go, you don't ask where. You don't ask when. You just go. You just go. That's what Abraham did. We see the revelation that formed his faith. We see the response that fed his faith. Exactly. The response that fed. Look at verse 4 here in the first part. He says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. As the Lord had told him. And here's an, and he says, and Lot went with him. You know, God's revelation led to his response. Abraham's response. The statement of faith led to kind of a step of faith where he goes. 
Someone has described faith, and I believe it was Billy Graham years ago, said, faith is forsaking all, so I will trust in him. Forsaking all. You know, that's what he did. That's really what faith is all about. Faith is simply doing what God asked you and God asked me to do. And in this one statement from Abraham and about Abraham, uh, it, I think it's why he's in the book of Hebrews. It's, it's not because of all these other things that are going to go on. It's because he was obedient. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed, and when he was called to go to the place which he would afterward receive an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. I think that's why he's in God's Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, because he was willing to go. He was just willing to go. Uh, you know, there's a lot of difference here today. You need to learn that there's a tremendous difference between belief and faith. You know, I believe the Seminoles are going to win. I don't know where my faith is. Well, thank you very much for that. We'll sit and talk to you after. But anyway, uh, but I don't know that I have the faith this year knowing who all they graduated. But, uh, you know, belief is not necessarily faith. Belief only becomes faith when it obeys God. When it obeys God. Uh, faith is belief with legs on it, I guess you can put it that way. Faith is simply belief with, with legs on it. You see, faith is the root of our obedience, but obedience is the fruit of our faith. You know, James says, uh, Amy Paul, I was a back talk, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And one of the greatest examples in Scripture is found in Luke chapter 5. And, and here Peter had been fishing all night long. He was tired. You know the story. He didn't even catch a minnow, the Scripture says. He had caught nothing. And Jesus comes to Peter and he tells him to launch his boat back into the deep and to let down his net for a catch. And here's what Peter says. Listen to it. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night long. That's kind of uh, his vernacular for we're worn out. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And one of the greatest words in Scripture, I believe, is the word nevertheless. Nevertheless. And you know, he had so much fish, he brought those nets back up. But this word, don't miss the word. That's what faith is. Faith is when you say, Lord, it doesn't like this really could come to fruition. It doesn't look like this really could work. But nevertheless, Lord, if you say do it, I'm going to do it. If you say do it, I'm going to do it. If you, you see, faith is not believing God in spite of evidence. Faith is really uh, obeying God in spite of our consequences. In spite of our consequences. Faith is tithing when you don't think you can tithe. Faith is witnessing when you don't even know if you know enough scripture to witness. You see here, Abraham was called the friend of God. You know, and he did what God told him to do. He didn't argue. He didn't discuss. He didn't debate it. There was no dissent. He just went. He just went. You know, um, and that's why Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 15 to 14, it's a reminder for all of us. He says, my friends, if you do what I command you. Don't argue. Don't defend. Don't complain. If God says do it, do it. I read about a little boy who, uh, you know, Abraham just simply obeyed. And I read about a little boy who was, he, he was riding his bicycle furiously, furiously around the block, around the block, around the block, over and over. And, and finally a policeman who was sitting at one of the corner, uh, he, he knows this kid had been going by him many, many times uh, over on his right. And finally he got out and he asked, he said, son, where are you going? 
And the boy looked at him and said, well, I'm running away from home. And the policeman said, well, you just keep going around the block and going around the block. And the boy said, that's because my mommy says I'm not allowed to cross the street. <laughs> I want to tell you, nothing will keep you close to the one you love like obedience. We see the revelation that formed his faith. We see the response that fed his faith. We see the rebellion that flawed. Now, here, here, here's the rebellion that flawed his faith. Now, here's something I want you to catch. And very few preachers preach on this, and I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else. But, you know, there's something in here that you notice I've referred to twice. And Lot went with him. That's not what God said, was it? And think about all the troubles Lot has caused for, you know, the Christian community and, and all the world, you know. And you study this passage, you discover that, you know, his faith was flawed. He said, go without anybody, just go. And yet he brings family. Because he did not fully trust God, he got into the water that was both deep and the water that was both hot. And there was four things that flawed his faith. But there, thank God, God has got a second chance, and I'll get to that in a second. First, there was disobedience. The Lord said to Abraham, you know, literally, go, go. Leave all your family, leave all your kindling, you know, all that. Not only did he take his father and his nephew, instead of going to Canaan, you know what he went? He went to Haran. You know, think about Haran, you know. Uh, you know, there's so many people that only give partial obedience. There's so many Christians that walk around partially walking in faith. They are saved, but they've never been baptized. They are saved, but they don't give to the local church. They don't tie to the Lord. They are saved, but they never witness anything about the glorious message to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saved, but they never serve. Well, someone might say, you know, he partially obeyed. Well, and I would tell you, did you know that to God, partial obedience means complete disobedience? I used to say this to my son and my daughter. They used to hate it. Cheryl's here to today. Uh, I would tell my son, 80% obedience is what? Disobedience. 80% obedience. Moms and dads, here's a good one for you. 80% obedience is disobedience. You know, parents just say it in your head so you have it when you get home. But anyway, you know, there, there's no way, there's no halfway house to holiness. Did you know that? There's no halfway house. You can't be go to, you know, suppose to go to Canaan and wind up in Aaron. And, you know, if you are partially in the will of God, you are totally out of the will of God. When you get on that slippery slope of disobedience and all the, you're, you're going to slide into discouragement and disappointment. So the first thing, he literally, he literally was disobedient. Secondly, he didn't, he had disbelief. He, he uh, in verse 10, he said there was a famine in the land a little further down. And, uh, and he goes and right in the middle of the land where God says, here's where I want you. And he, you know, now do you think God knew where the famine was? I do. I think God already knew where the famine was. It didn't need Abraham to tell him, you know. But I think it was a test of Abraham's faith. And, and you know, he goes down into Egypt. He goes, you know, he runs away from that which God told him. And, you know, I think it was a trial. And I think God was setting him up for a triumph. But Abraham took it on his own sake to do something that God could have used and brought him through. You know, Isaiah 31 uh, Verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and enforcement because they are very strong and who do not look to the Holy One of Israel 
nor seek the Lord. And so here he is, he goes down to, to Egypt, and as he goes down, you know, uh, he, he kind of has this thought, I can get out of this trouble, I can get out of this problem, and instead of asking God, why, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you bring me down here? Why, what are you trying to teach me? You know, uh, he, he doesn't. You know, I, I know this, that the will of God will, will never lead you to where the grace of God cannot protect you. You can just write that down. The will of God will never lead you to where the grace of God cannot protect you. Third thing we see is he was dishonest. Here is one of the great Hebrews, the great witnesses in the book of Hebrews, one of the great heroes of our faith, and yet he's dishonest. He says to his wife, now when we get down there, would you just not tell them I'm, you're my wife? Tell them you're my sister. You know, uh, that's in the Cheney translation. So, but anyway, you know, but you know, and he, and they do, and you know, uh, he tells a, a half truth because Sarah was his half sister, but a half truth is what a whole lot, and so now Abraham, he's been reduced to not only scheming, but now he's lying, and you know, he gets in bigger and bigger mess, and they go down there, and then all of a sudden they find out in verses 14, 15, and 16 of this chapter, they find out, and everything was going according to plan. Uh, and he comes down and the Egyptians saw the woman and she was very beautiful. The prince of the pharaohs also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the one was taken to the pharaoh's house and he treated Abraham well, the scripture says in verses 14, 15, and 16. For her sake, he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, uh, female servants, male servants, female donkeys, and camels. You know, Abraham lost his wife. But at least he gained his wealth and saved his own skin. That might be what some people thought, but it didn't last very, very long. All of a sudden, the Lord plagues the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh understands that, you know, his wife, his, his new person in the harem, is already a married woman, and she is married to Abram. And he calls Abraham in, and he says, Why could you do this to me? I treated you so well. Why would you do this? You know, why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife back. Here, she's yours. And go and depart. And so he commended his men concerning them in verses 17, 18, and 19. And he sent them away. You know what's so disgraceful about this? I hope you already know this. But you may not. What's so disgraceful about verses 17, 18, 19, and 20 is here is a pagan rebuking a believer. He's rebuking him for his lie. He's rebuking him for his scheme. He's rebuking him for his lack of faith in his own God. You know, Abraham lost two precious things while he was in Egypt. First, he lost time. And I'll tell you this as a Christian. He lost time because any time spent out of the will of God is simply wasted time. He lost time. You know, God's eternal clock never strikes when you are living out of the will of God. And that's what happened. But worse, and more importantly, he not only lost time, he lost his testimony. He lost his testimony. He lost his witness. He could have been a witness to the Pharaoh. He could, but he lost all credibility. He lost all integrity. Abraham's flawed faith resulted in fractured fellowship. Now, why do I tell you that? Why do I camp out on that a few minutes? Because thank God we have a God 
of a second chance. Thank God, you know, thank God we learn again and again from the very beginning of Scripture with Adam and Eve that God is a God of a second chance. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad to hear that no matter what you do, if you give it to God, God is a God of a second chance. You and I can come home again. So I want you to see the repentance that fortifies faith. You know, he's wandered far from God, but now he, he says, Lord, I'm coming home. Lord, I'm coming home. And notice what he did. He rejected the world. Verse chapter 13, verse 1. He went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and he went with Lot with him to the south. He went, he had all of Egypt that he wanted, and I'm sure Egypt had all of, of Abraham that they wanted, and uh and, he, and Abraham had all of Egypt that he could stand. And here, uh He's probably the most miserable man in all the world, except for a man who does not know Christ as their Savior. Here he is trying to live in Egypt, but God says, no, 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 no. You know, he's trying to live in Egypt, will be as miserable as a French poodle trying to live in a picture. Uh, you know, just going out. You know. Abraham goes up from Egypt, and that's his way of rejecting the world. And, you know, there's a song that we sing. I don't know if you sing it much, but it says, The Way of the Cross. The way of the cross. But if you're going to sing the song, and literally mean it says, the way of the cross leads home. If you're really going to mean it, you got to sing the third stanza, which says this. Then I bid farewell to the way of the world, to walk it never more. You know what never means? It means never. You know, that's what it means in Greek. You know, you cannot be a friend of God and be a friend of this world at the same time. You know, and James says, do you not know that your friendship with the world means you're an enemy with God? Whoever wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we see also he restores his witness. He comes back in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 3, and he comes back to Ai and Bethel. And he comes back to the place where he originally first had his first, you know, encounter with God. And he gets there and he calls on the name of the Lord in verse uh, chapter 12, verse, verse 8. You know, a lot of times for us as Christians, the way forward is backwards. The way forward is going back to the thing which, you know, the thing which we originated first, to that time with God. Abraham had to go back to the beginning. He had to go back to those times when he was in fellowship. He walked with God. He was strong in his faith, and he, he was there before God. You know, that, that's what the word Bethel means. He went back to the house of God, and that's what the word means, house of Abraham goes back, you know. You see, some there are some here today, because they're that way in any church, there are some people here today who think they can practice a Lone Ranger style of Christianity. But i got to tell you, you will never have a relationship with the Lord you ought to have and, and will be for God what you ought to be if you pitch your tent and you build your, your altar outside of the house of God. You'll never do it. He renewed his worship. And you know, the altar is a place of sacrifice. It is a place of sacrifice. It's a place for us to come before our Heavenly Father and say, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord. You know, uh, we see here there's that revelation. There's that revelation that formed his faith. Faith is your commitment to God's commandment. Second, we saw the response that fed his faith. God's revelation led to Abraham's response. The statement of faith led to his step. The third thing I challenge you this morning was that we saw the rebellion that fall his faith. There were four things, disobedience, disbelief, there was dishonesty, 
there was this grace. Repentance that the next last, the fourth point was the repentance that fortifies faith. Abraham had wandered far from God. Now he says, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I love this story. I don't know if you've sang this song here before, but in January of 1936 at a, uh, at a national convention uh, hosted in Alabama, the songwriter B.B. McKinney uh, was leading the music for the Alabama convention that, that night. And, uh, it was held in Clayton, uh, Alabama, and the future speaker was a guy named um, R.S. Jones. And Dr. Jones was one of our foreign uh, international missionaries, our foreign mission board missionaries. And he had just returned from Brazil. He was speaking that night, and they were having dinner. And during dinner, Dr. Jones said that, you know, because of his health, that uh, he, you know, he couldn't go back to Brazil to be a missionary. And, and Dr. McKinney asked that, uh, you know, why? He said, they just because my health will not allow me to, uh, to go back. And he asked him, said, well, what will you do next? And the missionary says, I don't know. But wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And Dr. McKinney, who only Dr. McKinney can do, just in a few, like an hour between dinner and the evening uh, session, before the convention's evening session began, he had written both the words and the music to a song. And at the close of the message, he shares the story I just shared with you about uh, Dr. Jones not being able to go back as one of our missionaries. And at the close, he relates the story and he sings for the very first time the song, Wherever He Leads, I'll go. Listen to the words. And I'm not a singer, so just listen to the song. You know, take up thy cross and follow me. I heard the Master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Wherever He leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever He leads, I'll go. He drew me closer to his side. I sought his will to know, and in that will I now abide. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And you know the chorus between each one. The last verse, he says, It may be through the shadows dim, or o'er the stormy sea. I take my cross, and I follow him. Wherever he leads. I pray that's your prayer. It certainly is my prayer. And it's the best prayer. 